Hello, everyone. I'm Christina Roberts Enneking, and I am here to welcome you to the Real Eyes Realize podcast. This is a platform where we feature everyday people making ripple effects, actualizing love in their families, communities, and the world at large. Real Eyes Realize is a show where life and service dance together. For all of our podcast listeners, we invite you to sit back or take us with you on your walk or drive or however you enjoy your podcast. But listen deeply. We are here with our guests, here to listen to the sparks that have inspired action and heart-centered service and highlight ways in which we can also be motivated and inspired to create the positive ripple effects in our world. We're prepared to get real as well, authentic, courageous, and vulnerable through truth-telling and in that relating with one another to the things that matter most. So thank you for being here and enjoy this special treat, our next episode, just for you. So with that, what I'd like to do is welcome you, Caitlin Hoffman, to our Real Eyes, Real Eyes podcast. We're so, so grateful and honored to have you here with us. I'm going to start with a little short bio, and then we're going to jump right into it. So um, I love it. So Caitlin, you join us today as somebody who has been working in the field of education and an academic coach and academic intervention uh, for 35 years in Silicon Valley. And so we're going to be excited to find out a little bit more about this, Um, but also raised in both the United States and France, bilingual in French and English, having a master's degree in education administration and supervision from San Jose State University. Um, And really your big... um, service, if you will, is coaching parents as well as teenagers and adolescents in the whole mode of how to just kind of raise and navigate education. So we're so interested to talk with you, especially as we're looking at, you know, the effects of COVID and what's happening as we're returning, quote unquote, to school, even in the midst of COVID still happening. So I know that you excel as an advocate for parents and their teens and and adolescents to look at the complexities of the education system and really helping uh, support students who are neurodivergent and gifted and talented, who may have ADD or ADHD, depression, anxiety, or learning challenges and helping to create pathways for these teens and parents for success. So how lucky are we to have you as we're talking about getting back to school for many Um, So first of all, before we kind of dive into the million questions I have for you, I'd like to turn it over to you. And if you could just tell us a little bit more about your story from growing up, some of the pivotal moments that have happened. And I know you've had some, um, quite a few, I would say, defining moments. So we'd love to hear from you what those are. Well, uh, thank you for having me, first of all. I don't think that there's any question as to why I'm with teens. Um, It's fascinating to me, I'll just speak for the American culture, that teenagers tend to feel, as I walk in their shoes, they tend to feel like they're adolescents, they're kind of not 100% accepted. Like if you think about even the town of Los Gatos, like if you walk downtown, it's not necessarily teen friendly. The stores and the restaurants are for grownups, you know, a wine bar, coffee shop, So anyway, what my point is, is that I think I was really destined to spend my career with teenagers because they're not really in the herd during adolescence, right? They're 
coming out of childhood into adulthood, and it's a very mixed up time. Mm-hmm. And they're absolutely fascinating individuals, um, very outspoken most of the time. So my childhood and my beginning of my teaching career, it's not surprising that I've spent all this time with teenagers because my life itself was very disrupted and I had a lot of things to deal with. And so I really understand teens because they tend to just accept me the way I am and I'm able to kind of get into their life a little bit and hang in there with them during a rough spot. And then when they're doing really well, they reach back out and say, look what I'm doing, you know? So I kind of understand that the, the, the adolescent part is just a temporary part. Like it's not a permanent mm-hmm. space. If you think about an 18 year old all the way to a 25 year old, mm-hmm. that's really when adulthood kicks in like 24, 25, 26. So adolescence, which to me starts at the end of middle school, mm-hmm. That period of time is like a really critical time, but that's really not what they end up being as an adult. So I kind of like being in the middle of their chaos. Yes. Um, You're so good at it too. I mean, just my experience with you, I mean, my, my youngest son, who is now 14, uh, has spent some time at your coaching academy, and we'll certainly be talking more about that. But what I love about working with you, Caitlin, is that you create the psychological safety for the adolescents where you really see them blossom and whether or not they're having struggle or if they're excelling, you're celebrating along the way. And I do think that you do have quite a gift and uh, I'm really glad that you're helping. I don't, I don't think a lot of what adolescents are doing is, I think what they're doing is part of adolescence. And so you know, I kind of see past all that and I see this really great kid and um, they, most teenagers feel like they're kind of being picked on, right? Like I'm not doing this right. I'm not doing that right. And so I think when they know that their shenanigans are part of what I'm (laughs) accepting, then they think, oh, this is a good place to be. You know, I'm I'm myself, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty funny. I love it. Well, so tell us a little bit more when you think about the disruptions that maybe you had early on in life. And, uh, and I know you've actually even experienced a health scare. And I think some of yeah. those moments in life can kind of have us reevaluate what's important. Um, would you be open to tell us a little bit sure. more about that journey? So do you want to hear more about the early part of my life? Or do you want to hear more about what happened? In yes, my and life? go ahead and okay. give us a little snapshot well, of each. It's most people don't know this because I don't really talk about it, but I was born in 1961 in Sausalito, California, mm-hmm. and spent the first four years of my life on a houseboat mm. in gate five. And the reason for that is my dad dropped out of Yale on a full scholarship, and my mom dropped out of Northwestern University, one credit shy of graduating, and they came to San Francisco to drop out. Mm-hmm. So my childhood started in the eye of the storm of the, you know, it was basically the beginning of the sixties. Mm-hmm. And I would say my mom really got swept into the middle of that. She's a Mary prankster from electrical aid acid test. <laughs> and that meant that she got on that bus when I was only four years old. For those of you who don't know, Tom Wolf wrote a book called Electrical Aid Acid Test. 
And Ken Kesey wrote One Who Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Mm -hmm. And Ken Kesey put together this bus and it was wild. (laughs) But what that produced for a kid in the 60s was that my mom was using drugs. Mm -hmm. And my mom and dad split up when I was very young. And I didn't have my mom for big chunks of my childhood. Mm. And I ended up being a nomad in the 60s. That's how I lived in Sausalito, San Francisco, Berkeley, Oakland, Pennsylvania, France, Maine. I mean, I was just dragged all over the place with these sort of gypsies Mm -hmm. that from a young age told me very contradictory statements like, you're a woman, you can do whatever you want, right? Because we were in feminism. But at the same time, they didn't have any money to feed me half the time, right? (laughs) So I was like, as a child, none of this added up to me. I had severe rejection of the 60s. Yeah. What I gravitated towards was my mother's parents, my grandparents. Mm. Um, my stepmother, Andre's parents were in France and I lived with my grandparents in France. I lived with my grandparents on the East Coast on and off. And the grandparents provided extreme stability. Mm. And so they were kind of not that excited about what their kids were doing, as you could imagine. Yep. So I had a very disrupted childhood. I was educated in France. I was educated in the U.S. And sometimes I didn't go to school at all. Yeah. I just decided, well, forget school, right? (laughs) So by the time I got into college, which was a small miracle, um, this is kind of a funny one at Berkeley high school, because I was fluent in French, I took an SAT subject test and almost got like, I, I missed one question. So when I got to the East coast, right out of high school, I hadn't even applied to college. And I met some friends and they made a bet that if I applied to George Washington university as a French major, that I would get in. And I said, that's not possible. I have C's and, But sure enough, I got accepted. And those were the days when you filled out the application with a blue pen and mailed it, you know? Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, way back when. (laughs) So I got got into college and lo and behold, I transferred to a school in New York State. And little by little, my difficult adolescence kind of got transformed as I became an adult because professors... Mm. encouraged me to become a French teacher. They were like, you're so fluent. Mm -hmm. Uh, You don't know what you want to do with your life because I was a French minor. Yes. They offered me a full ride in a master's program to become a French teacher. Oh, that's amazing. And so I really had no plan. Yeah. I had no plan. People helped me come up with a plan because in my childhood, nobody was paying any attention really to what Silicon Valley parents pay attention to, which is, we want you to go to college. Um, so in there was some very serious aftermath to my childhood. There were some big tragedies. Um, I'm one of seven kids with all these different parents, and I have two siblings that committed suicide. Mm, and sorry. that's from basically, you know, I think all of us all listening to this podcast, we know that a childhood is really important in terms of safety, right? Like yes. a home and shelter and good food and love and nurturing and all that. And when yeah. you don't get that as a kid, it, it can be really, really 
that could be some very difficult consequences. And so well, we lost- it could be a shaky foundation for sure, right. especially right. when you're looking at that right. sense of belonging. Right. And then my mom, who obviously with the amount of acid that was done on that bus trip was very unhealthy. They were drinking it in orange juice. And so they didn't even know the dosages. Mm. So my mom, um, I think she felt that she had a compromised immune system, actually. Mm. But she ended up at age 35 getting clean and sober, and she had her own beautiful life in Marin County, but she really lived under the radar. And when she was 54 years old, she came down with stage four rectal and liver cancer. Mm. And so in a two-year period, when I was just starting my teacher, teaching career in, in Silicon Valley, I lost my mom when my daughter was a year old. Then I lost my sister and then I lost my brother within a two-year span. Mm -hmm. And that caused me also to get divorced because yeah. I was living with an addict alcoholic. And I was like, that's it. I'm not doing that. So when I think about my whole lifespan, um, I've been, you know, if I pick up the paper every day and I see something going on in the world, like someone has addiction issues or a divorce or you know, a tragedy of a, of a loss of life. Yes. None of those things are not familiar to me. I have been through so many life events mm -hmm. that the, the pain of life is very evident to me as well as the joy because yeah. I've had to navigate really big setbacks. Yeah, I get that. And, and one of the things that when I first met you, I know that you were, you know, kind of on a reboot um, after having a cancer diagnosis. And mm -hmm. what I remember about just you is your dedication and your devotion to the practices that support you in feeling that joy and that your ability to be resilient in the midst of challenges and to be the comeback kid. And so um, I'm wondering if that resonates for you. And even if you have any thoughts about that, you know, resilience and grit, those are some topics that really come up with adolescence right now as well. How yeah, do you relate I mean, to that? Well, if I think I understand your question, what I'm saying to adolescents is that I want to help you build inside of yourself mm -hmm. the daily practices that you're going to carry with you for a lifetime. Mm. because you have to have practices every day that you're dedicated to because the storm is coming. <laughs> nobody, nobody gets away, you know, without being confronted with something. So what I'm very fascinated with is our resiliency and what does it take to help kids build that strongly inside themselves yes. so that when they are faced with things, they really know where to go get help and how, and, you know, I think that's really, really critical. Uh, yeah. We have to have things that we do. And I, I don't think you would mind if I told you why you're so important to me. Um, no, not at uh, all. When I was, um, so I got diagnosed with cancer at the same age, my mom, and mm. I got breast cancer in 2013 at the time, I had two centers open with 50 students and 18 employees. And what I did was I hid my cancer diagnosis. I was terrified that if the community knew I had cancer, mm. that I wouldn't be able to handle 
them knowing. I didn't want to be asked about it. So I kind of just went undercover yeah. and I did my radiation in the summer when the center was shut down and I did, I just hit it. Then after I was done with all my treatment, I realized that keeping that secret was really toxic. Mm. So I was able, after I got through my surgeries and radiation, I did not have to do chemo, but I started opening up a little bit. And the one thing I didn't do was stop working so hard. So I was really headed for a burnout because when you have cancer, it's physically intense and yeah. I didn't know how to stop. So I didn't stop until my body just stopped. I had a complete <laughs> meltdown and mm -hmm. I, I took three months off work. Um, and then I kind of got back into it. But when I met you, what was going on was I had gone to a psychiatrist locally and we figured out that medication wasn't going to work for me. And he's such a stellar guy that he said, then you need to go and do yoga every day. <laughs> and his idea about yoga was not so much downward dog or plank or anything like that. He just wanted the breath work. Yeah. He wanted me to breathe. The breath and the mind, you know, yeah. the mindfulness and piece. And he, uh, I found a person who could do cranial sacral three times a week. Yeah. Wonderful. And when I would go to your Saturday class, most of the time I didn't want to go to class. I had to fight my way out of bed. Yeah. I was pulling the covers over my head. I don't want to go. <laughs> and then I would go to your class. And a lot of times I was unhappy that there were 35 people in there. It was jam packed. <laughs> I would be saying, why can't that person take a shower? This is heated yoga. <laughs> You know, and, but the thing was, you were such a cheerleader for me that mm. about halfway through the class, my mood would stabilize mm. and my nervous system would calibrate and I wasn't in fight or flight. Yeah. I didn't feel depressed. My anxiety was down and I would basically come out of that class, go to the farmer's market, sit down and eat something good. And these yoga classes that, that I took from you and countless number of teachers yeah. um, helped bring me out of burnout and my whole physiological, basically it was my whole nervous system that just gave, gave out. I was mm -hmm. in so much anxiety. I couldn't sleep. The burnout was vicious. Yes. My thoughts were negative. Um, and it took, it took two years. Yeah. So the thing that a lot of people don't understand about burnout, it's a long, long process. Yeah. To have your traumatized system, um, because it's so physiological. It is. It's so you you work on your body, yeah. and uh, it's all the trauma of my childhood. It was just like the body keeps score. That famous book. I had just accumulated, 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 and I was such a good coper, right? But my coping <laughs> mechanism was to compartmentalize and stuff it down. Right. So my burnout was like a volcano, like everything yeah. just blew up. And that, that put me in the position of accepting Mm. that yoga was a good thing for me and cranial sacral was good. And, you know, I just basically had to accept mm -hmm. that it was okay for me to rest. Yeah. That's yeah. such a huge lesson, especially being in Silicon Valley that we can get so used to the pace that just seems like it's, you know, go like bombs away all the time. But oh, I, love I love being a workaholic. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. You know, when you're working hard, you can avoid everything. You oh, can. I'm working on this project. No, I got this to do. And you're busy and you're not going to pay any attention to what your body's saying. 
Right. Right. (laughs) But it's the other A, avoidance, and that we're trying to like look at is acceptance and acknowledgement. And then that leading us to mindfulness around what actions make the most sense to take or not to take such a beautiful art of doing nothing. Right. So just knowing what that really is. Um, such an amazing, amazing um, trajectory that you've been on. And so when we think about, you know, one of the things that we oftentimes ask our guests is, you know, there's this uh, saying that struggle is where the magic happens, right? Mm -hmm. And that you have certainly faced your share of struggles. When you think about the magic or the silver linings in the midst of these hardships, what comes to mind for you? What have you learned? I think it's kind of strange, but I have a very aggressive uh, courage thing. Like I, when things get really bad, I'm like just standing there with my sword ready to go. You know, I, I don't, I love life so much, you know, I love being alive. And so I think when I've worked with teachers in yoga, they'll often say, wow, your attachment is to life is really you know, like maybe you should let go a little. And I'm like, I'm not letting go. I love life. I want to, I've always said for the last 30 years, I want to live till at least 108. Uh That's a great number. (laughs) Um, So I think when I try to answer your question a little bit, it's just, I know that I can do hard things. Yeah. And I want everybody around me to know that they can do hard things too. Yeah. And it's the shying away from the hard things and not walking through it that really is trouble. Yeah. So when I avoid things, that's when I'm in a lot of trouble. But when yeah. I just sort of go through it, one of the things my doctor taught me was when I when the aftermath of the burnout is that sometimes during the daytime, I can feel like I'm dropping in an elevator and the anxiety comes up. <laughs> and I usually try to do something to fight it off. And what he taught me was to sit with it and it'll pass, but fighting it off, it's hanging on there. Yes. So I think it's fascinating. I'm in the process right now, kind of learning not to get all worked up when I feel anxious. Cause my thing with anxious is, well, let me just fix that. Right. Yeah. And part of it is just breathing back down and then it's going to kind of ease. Yeah. Yeah. There's a beautiful practice. And one of the things that we oftentimes do, I think I shared with you as we share in our online resource hub uh, tips and tricks that have come from our uh, podcast guests. And one thing that comes to mind in talking with you about this is, I don't know if you're familiar with the RAIN practice. Um, There are many different meditation teachers that teach it, um, but it is this notion and it's oftentimes done with uh, trauma, trauma release. But the RAIN stands for one, recognize, recognize what emotions are going on. The A is acknowledge. So that's the deep breathing and sitting with it and not resisting or fighting it. The I is then investigate. Like, what is this coming from? Is it a deeper trigger? How is this a cue for me? And then N is nurture. So how to move towards self-love, self-care so that we can move through it. But because the fight is the thing that actually is the resistance that makes it worse rather than just what it is. And I want to add something really strange. When I went through the burnout, it was way before COVID. Mm -hmm. And when COVID-19 happened, one of the really bizarre, weird feelings I had was all of a sudden we had a collective trauma. Mm Mm-hmm. And I got to tell you, that was really strange for me because rather than 
you know, helping one friend through a difficult time or I went through it, all of a sudden, all the schools were shut down, all the kids. For me, this collective global thing, Yep. I still haven't wrapped my brain around the ramifications. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it almost made this mental health crisis that we really are in. Yeah. Like everybody's talking to each other about what they're going through. And so there's been this really strange juxtaposition for me of not wanting, of course, yes, for our world to go through this, but at the same time, it's kind of opened everybody up into these conversations that I never had in my twenties or my thirties. Yes. It's almost destigmatizing things like the mental health challenges that do exist and depression and anxiety. And, you know, let's talk a little bit about COVID. You know, you've been called in, I know, to many different groups and have done webinars. And um, so really interested in your point of view around what the impact of COVID has been on adolescents, on families, you know, the the impact on parents. Um, We can talk a bit about your coaching business and and really what you've been called in to do and the pivots that you've had to make. What has, what has been the pivot for you? I think, I I think right now with school starting, I'm really concerned that most of us this summer did not give us enough time Mm -hmm. to, to have enough time to reset. So a lot of us are going into the school year um, where we, we need now to, to, for the next few weeks mm-hmm. to be mindful of keeping a lot of the practices that hopefully we adopted over the summer when we got a little reprieve. Mm-hmm. You know, some of us got to go see our families. Some of us got to travel. Some of us got to sleep in you know, whatever those little resty kind of things are that we had over the summer, I'm just a little concerned that we didn't have enough of it. Yeah. And that I don't mean to have a scarcity mentality, but my advice to teens and parents in schools right now is take it easy. Mm -hmm. um, Because I think we need on a daily basis, a lot of summer still. Like mm-hmm. I wish schools had started after Labor Day or something. <laughs> I, some people were just getting into their groove and all of a sudden it was kind of abrupt. Yes. They're back in school. Yes. Yes. And what are you seeing, you know, in terms of the impact on, especially on adolescents, you know, teens, you know, the thought about, you know, depression, anxiety, um, social isolation. And, and sometimes what I see too, is just the fear of being back with people, especially face to face. What are you witnessing? Well, first of all, I'm witnessing that teenagers um, doubled their usage of the internet. Mm, Doubled. Doubled. Mm -hmm. What also doubled was F's and D's. Mm. So you have an academic performance for a lot of kids that went way down. Mm -hmm. You have a huge increase in their use of the internet with things like video games, discord, social media, it goes on and on. Yeah. So uh, uh, for a teenager now to go back into a classroom and be able to um, give their full attention to let's say a teacher wanting to engage with them and classmates, 
That's really different than what they've just been through for three semesters. Even though we went back on campus, a lot of us last spring, it wasn't for very long. No, three weeks maybe for most. Yeah. 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 So like I just heard of a private high school in the area, what they're doing right now, it's an all boys school. They're, Mm -hmm. they're eliminating all smartphones on campus. A hundred percent. I think their tactic, and I haven't spoken with them directly, is that to to have people be with each other and pay full attention to each other, mm-hmm. they have to get the phones out of the out of the way because it's it's like in between yeah. them and the and the kid, right? Yeah, yeah. So, do you support that? Tell us a little bit more because I know you also do digital detox yeah. camps and whatnot during the summer. So tell us a little more about your yeah. thoughts on social media and the internet and. Obviously, there's pros of connectivity and connecting the world. Then there's also, like you said, I think the distractions that can happen. Right. So I, I hope that what a family does, does it together in their home, because I'm hoping that the family unit hmm. can get together to create a plan. Um, because what's happening with a teenager is if if members of their household are on devices all day, whether mm-hmm. it be with work or not, you have to be able to, to come to some agreement about what is going to happen inside your home yeah. that you can all agree to that's fair and equal because mm-hmm. otherwise it just ends up being an argument or tension or conflict or stress. Uh, these these devices now are have so invaded our lives that... Mm-hmm. That to me to to detach from them, yeah, needs to be done carefully. And the other thing is, a lot of teens that I know are highly educated due to their access to the internet, and they didn't learn it in the classroom, and they know yeah. a lot. Yeah. So it is it is a problem because some teens will tell you what they're doing with their device, and you're like, you're reading the New York Times every day. Oh, <laughs> okay. You know, it's kind of hard to say, oh, that's a bad idea. Exactly. You know? They can tell you everything that's going on. And you're like, wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Or even getting news through TikTok, which was a new one for me. And, you know, my daughter who's 16, it was funny because she was going through all of these old classic rock songs that were like incredible. And she was singing them and knew knew all the words. And I was like, oh, I love that you love that song. Like, she's like, oh, yeah, it's a TikTok song. I'm like, no, that's a Bob Seger song, maybe replayed (laughs) on TikTok. But it is interesting how they're exposed to so many different things, right? And so I think to so I think technology is probably it got to me it just got so out of control mm-hmm. during COVID and now we need some kind of a process some kind of a plan yeah. to ease our way out of so much usage and somehow have it be bought in by that family unit and as far as the schools are concerned. Um, they they need to be really careful about what is an important mm. use of text tech and what is they should let go of completely. You know, yeah. like I understand that there are these incredible things that you can do with students that's tech, but also now that the kids have been through three semesters of online learning, mm-hmm. we yeah. really need to focus on social emotional connection and back to group work and collaboration and project-based stuff. And hopefully screen time is greatly reduced. 
Yeah. 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 I think that I, that makes a lot of sense. It's really unhealthy for, for, yeah. Yeah. So now, are you, have you seen like the social dilemma documentary and uh, some of the screenagers type show? Yeah. So d- would you say that that the data and the information that that's supportive of what you feel as well in your state? I highly recommend to your listeners to look up indie flicks mm-hmm. and see all those movies, all of them. Yeah. If anything, it helps you figure out your plan. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe what we can do, Caitlin, is um, we'll do some links um, and we'll do that for our online resource hub. And even if you have any great maybe screen contract templates, I know that I've got one. But if you have something, I think that you are absolutely correct as a family unit that becomes a negotiation and a conversation. And I think the kids are really good, too, about saying, well, if you say I can't be on my phone, then neither can you, mom or dad. Like, so what are the times that are sacred as a family? you know, family dinners where everyone puts their phone away and uh, it really is about connection. I think that teenagers are watching what you're doing uh, much more. Your actions as a parent mean way more to a teen than what you say. Yeah. So modeling for a teenager is critical and they're going to call you out if, if, if it's not something, it's really hard to put into words, but you know the feeling when a teenager loves you mm-hmm. and respects you and sees that you are there for them in a certain way. They will wrap their arms around you and hug you. And But, you know, if they think that you're really like, ah, they're going to yeah. tell you. And yeah. those clashes can be really stressful. And I think that you're much more needing to collaborate. There's a famous therapist in Marin County. He said it a long time ago, fire yourself as the boss, hire yourself on as a consultant and start collaboration because teenagers love that. Yeah. You know, they love being part of decision-making and ideas and, you know, but if they think there's two ways, like I have to do it this way, but you get to do it that way. uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, they're the first to call out something that feels hypocritical or inconsistent. So I think that that is spot on. Um, So tell us a little bit more about what you see as your future. So you've got the coaching Academy, you've got a parent works, you get digital detox. Maybe you could tell us a little bit more about all three and then what you see as the vision going forward. So I turned 60 years old last February and that was a big it was a big time for me to think through what I want to do next, really. Yeah. So what I did last spring was create a brand new part of my company, and it's called Parent Coaching Works. That's a website now where parents can immediately go to me and actually schedule a coaching session. Nice. And I got rid of all the difficulties of getting a hold of me and emailing back and forth and phone calls. You just go right onto the site. And the next thing you know, we can be on Zoom together for a couple hours. And that really helps parents because most of the time when parents get a hold of me, the stress has gone way up and there's mm-hmm. something, you know, there's F's and D's and missing assignments and this isn't working. So parent coaching works is really one of the gifts of COVID was to help me go online. Yes. I mean, yes. it did that for a lot of us. A lot of us found out we could do amazing things on Zoom. Yeah, true. So Parent Coaching Works is there. And then I stopped um, kind of using a euphemism for digital detox. It used to be 
buy coastal retreats because I wasn't really ready to say digital detox works. <laughs> Finally, with COVID, when tech use doubled and caused all kinds of problems, I mean, some kids got straight S because they weren't even going to class. They were playing video games. Um, I decided, well, I'm just going to call it what it is. <laughs> so if you want to go to Maine in the summer and detox from the internet 100%, then that's what that website's about. And mm. we did have a, a two-week digital detox this past summer. And I started that in 2015. Yes. So kind of what's happened in the last five, six years is things that were in the works. Mm. I really hunkered down during COVID and got crystal clear. Yes. Academic Coaching Works is a center in downtown Campbell. Kids come in here in person, right? We have coaches in person. Parent Coaching Works is online. Yeah. Digital Detox is in person in Maine in the summers. So what I want to do next is hopefully this school year, I get some other educators who want to really do the coaching center full time yeah. so that I can build a retreat center in the state of Maine. I bought a 10 acre farm there and I held the retreat this past summer on my own property. Mm, beautiful. So I'm fascinated with digital detox. I think we have to do it, you know, like a yoga practice. We have to practice getting yes. off our devices <laughs> and I made you laugh when you interviewed me last week a little bit about, you said something about, you know, what do you want to do next? I said, I want to do nothing. <laughs> yeah. That's what I want. I'm going to work myself out of this job. <laughs> I'm going to just do nothing. Um, and so I'm fascinated with how good it feels to yes. do nothing. Yes. I love and that. That's kind of, uh, you know, I, I also will throw a surprise in there. Uh I want to have a good death. Mm, say more. So, what do you mean by that? What I mean is I'm 60 years old and I believe when we leave this body that we can have a good death. Mm -hmm. But that comes with the idea that when you get into your 60s, you have to start to think about what does that mean, a good death? Does that mean I don't have a disease? I don't have a painful death. I don't have an accident. And, you know, I feel like our society in general, we just kind of don't really address a lot of this. Mm -hmm. So your listeners will think this is pretty quirky, but I'm actually going to pick out a cemetery in Maine. Nice. I'm going to pick out a plot. The kids that were in Maine, we actually had a big discussion about this and they all told me that they don't want there's like a somehow a, a sustainability coffin where uh -huh. they do, like once again, to tie, a tree. In, yeah, <laughs> to tie this into what they learned from the internet, I don't spend as much time as they do on the internet. And they were giving me advice yeah, about what it. was on the internet for, you know, how it's definitely no cremation. That's not good for the environment. They gave me all these tips. But what I mean by good death is, you know, having a trust. So my daughter you know, doesn't get stuck with something. And, mm -hmm. but spiritually it means getting to a point where I'm more at peace, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not as conflicted about, you know, whatever, but yes. it's like a sort of a, a spiritual, physical mindset thing. And I actually want that as a project, right? Beautiful. And, and I, I've even written a little script for my funeral. Beautiful. You know, I know I'm going to be made fun of. At my not wake. at all. 
not yeah, so there, I, when I, you I, want I, roasting maybe that is part of it but I, I know that I'm a character so <laughs> so what I'm saying is the next the next few years it's yes. for me it can't just be about work all the time yes and I have to make some priorities about you know what does it mean to go into your 60s and yeah that's kind of the best answer I can get right now. I love that. You know, what's interesting is um, I'll just share with you. So my mom also has her funeral planned. Uh, she actually has even given us a script for what she wants us to say about her. And we said, no, 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 mom, like the epilogue, that's our responsibility. So, but, um, you know, has the music picked out what flowers she was. And I think there was more planning put into her funeral than there was for my wedding. And so I just think it's, but what a wonderful way. And I agree with you. I think our society doesn't really revel and think about death in a way that it is part of the cycle. Yeah. We've talked about it on this podcast. You know, the nature teaches us that it's, it is birth, life, death, rebirth. And that's the cycle that continues on. So how we live our life really does. And matter. I want to be a good model for young people. Uh, it's like sort of my legacy is that, yes, I've been with you teenagers for 35 years and I've dedicated my time and energy because I love all of you very much. At the same time, I have these other things that I've been postponing, right. (laughs) That don't make money. That's not a part of my career that are calling my attention. Yes. Right. It's like back there, my mind is saying, what about this, Caitlin? What about this? And so when I say good death, what are those things on the side that should become more of a priority? That's beautiful. Well, before we go into our final kind of collective questions, I'd love to ask, and it sounds like this is a really great kind of segue. So when you think about your legacy, what you want to leave, or when you really think about kind of what you have as a message to the teens and adolescents or parents to our community, what comes to mind for you? Most of the time, what I've tried to to convey is that your hardships are temporary. Mm. They're not lasting. And who you are as a person right now is what matters. Like it's your, I already see what a beautiful person you are and you Mm -hmm. are not defined by a teacher who gives you an F, Mm -hmm. right? You're not defined by these setbacks, these hardships. Um, I, I really, and parents, I tell parents, I know you're doing the best you can. Yes. You know? Um, however, I want you to get your house in order. <laughs> <laughs> so like, let's this have the kids. Go. <laughs> exactly. Let's talk about our screen contract. Let's talk yeah, about yeah. some things that yeah. may help you out. Yeah. I mean, I love you as a parent, but on the other hand, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but you know, and I, I think the teens and the parents, the reason I do the coaching together is I love watching a teenager's look on their face when I say, I'm going to coach your mom. Really? You are? <laughs> You know, they get so excited about that. What are you going to say? You know, so yeah. I like the combination of the parent team coaching. It, it, yes. It's very, it's very helpful. What's the other part to your question? So there was legacy and then yeah. there was the, what message do you have for parents or teens? Uh, yeah. My message to parents and teens is I really want there to be a partnership between mm-hmm. teenagers and parents Yeah, and that means coming to the table with your teen with a lot of love. Mm. Uh, 
teens don't feel 100% loved. Yeah. So I want parents to really wrap their arms around their teens and lower the expectation of the intensity of Silicon Valley (laughs) and get a little bit more like my mom, a little more hip, you know, (laughs) like, let's not get so uptight about all this because because we know it's going to work out. Yeah. Beautiful. Work out. Beautiful. Well, Caitlin, what I'd love to do is we will put together some links. Um, you and I can work offline and also where people can find you in terms of either the coaching center in person in Campbell. Uh, you also have, you have different uh, ex-teachers and coaches and mentors. And I know that you also have people from like high school and college. So there's mm-hmm. good relatability with students. Um, to really help with after school hours and Zoom coaching, you, you just you do it all, which is just fantastic. So I want to make sure our re- our listeners know how to find you. Um, so what I'd like to do is kind of at this tail end of our podcast, we do just a group of lightning fast collective questions, and so it's our chance just to hear kind of what's off the hip for you. So my first question for you is: What are you currently reading or watching? Oh boy. Um... I'm reading a book about chronic illness Uh and that might sound a little uh, tough, but this incredible journalist has written a book that I think is one of the best things I've ever seen about chronic illness. Um, I have, I have colitis. And so this woman has, she has some kind of IBS, but she's written like this go-to plan. And I love this book and I wish I had it because I would grab it and put it in front of you. I'll put it in the links with you. Perfect. That sounds very upbeat. It's really positive. I I love that. I love that. So, so cool. What was, it was a book and what am I watching? Um, I will tell you that I only watch PG 13. Yes. I watch the most goofy, romantic, funny. (laughs) I don't watch anything heavy. I will turn it off in a snap. If, so I watch, I love um, romantic comedies. Yes, I love that. So, so good. So when you think about if you could eat dinner and engage in dialogue with anybody, past or present, who would it be? Right now, it would be Jill Biden. Yeah, Jill Biden. I love it. Educator to educator. Yes. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> When you Not Joe look, Biden, Jill. Jill, that's what I said. Yeah, Jill. Um, yeah, you could talk about every so much about raising kids and just what it's like to lose somebody special and oh, so many life lessons, right? So when you think about, and we talked a little bit about this during the podcast, um, the practices that you do or say, um, either when challenges arise or what you find keeps you going on a daily basis, what is that? Well, for one thing, I don't get on my phone in the morning. I actually use Spotify and I listen to chanting in the morning mm. because I'm actually not comfortable getting too deep into what's going on in the world. So I find chanting to be a great way to start my day. Yeah. And the practices that I have are very strict. Eating extremely well. Mm-hmm. I would eat out of a farmer's market if I could. Um, I believe in sleep as a, as a very important factor in my life. I have to get sleep every night without fail. And I spend a lot of time with my loved ones. I have some really close friends and I think 
no telling people. I mean, I probably text my daughter that I love her every day with some goofy message. <laughs> um, I, I really want people to know while I'm here that I just adore them. Mm, beautiful. I love that. Well, this brings me to my last question for you. What are you most grateful for today? Well, one is just being alive. Yeah. Uh, I think with, with what we witnessed these last two years, I get up every morning and I'm ecstatic that I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> I just am so happy that I'm still a part of what's going on. Yes. I'm very inspired by what's going on around the world in terms of, I just see people working on amazing things and in the, in the face of real challenge. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Caitlin, we are so grateful for you being part of this podcast today. Thank you so much. And I just wanted to kind of bid you farewell and good luck. And uh, we will have our listeners know where to find you. Um, so thank you so, so very much. Thank you for having me, Christina. Thank you for tuning in to another impactful conversation here on Real Eyes, Real Eyes podcast. We hope you take the, some time to let the wisdom of the stories that were shared here today sink in. And we welcome you to engage with us on our social channels at realize.love on Instagram, at realize.love on Facebook, and also our virtual voicemail on SpeakPipe. You can call us and let us know individuals you'd like to hear us interview or ideas for stories that you think would be impactful for others to hear. We also have links in the show notes and we invite you to go to our website, realeyes.love, where you will find an online resource hub. It is our gift to all of our listeners to provide you the resources and support in making your own ripple effects actualizing love in this world. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. Thank you for doing all that you do. And remember, be true, be real, be you, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you.